Welcome to episode four of the Vegan Champion Podcast. Today I sit down for a chat with Natasha and Luca, who are known as That Vegan Couple. These two are highly influential vegan lifestyle advocates and animal rights activists who are constantly putting out all kinds of awesome content on social media. Lots of interesting things in this conversation, including how they found veganism, what inspired them to get more active in terms of spreading the vegan message, and their thoughts on various forms of vegan activism. That's all coming up on this episode of the Vegan Champion Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Jason Fonger. I'm the host here at the Vegan Champion Podcast. Here we are in episode four, and I must say that I'm really stoked about this one for a couple of reasons. The first and most obvious reason is because it's a great conversation with two of my friends, Natasha and Luca, who are people that I really look up to because of how dedicated they are to doing everything they can for the vegan movement. And the second reason is because the quality of the audio and video of this show is definitely a big step up from the previous episodes. We recorded this one in a proper podcasting studio space. I think that while the quality of the conversations on this podcast is is the most important thing, having high quality video and audio is also very important. So I'm pumped to be moving things along in the right direction. So Natasha and Luca were recently here in Chiang Mai for a couple of months. During that time, they were regular volunteers at the Cube of Truth events that I organize every couple of weeks. Um, We talk about what these events are in the podcast, but to give a little context, these are street outreach events where we have traditionally used laptops to show people footage of where animal products come from, how they're produced, And we have conversations with people in order to get them thinking about their lifestyle choices. Um, But recently, the owner of one of the vegan restaurants here in town donated four large TV screens as well as the battery and inverter necessary to operate these screens so that we can show the footage on, on on the TVs as opposed to showing it on the laptops, which really boosts the visual impact of the demonstration and takes it to another level. So I feel this is an appropriate episode to tell you guys about this awesome restaurant. Good Souls Kitchen is a plant-based restaurant located in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Their ingredients are made in-house with no preservatives and are locally sourced. I highly suggest trying the fresh mango smoothie, which is made from homemade almond milk, and definitely get your hands on their delicious mushroom burger. It's their most popular item and it's just amazing. It's so good. Honestly, everything I've had at this place has been delicious. So no matter what you eat here, I promise you will not be disappointed. Good Souls is Chiang Mai's top rated plant-based restaurant on TripAdvisor as not only is the food top notch, it's also a great atmosphere and is an essential location in the old city. I'm really super impressed with this restaurant and incredibly grateful for their support of the anonymous for the voiceless vegan activism that goes on in the city. That's the the Cube of Truth events that I was talking about before. Be sure to check this place out the next time you find yourself in Chiang Mai. All right, so let's jump into it, shall we? 
It was a pleasure to sit down with Natasha and Luca for this conversation. They are really awesome people and I'm excited to share this exchange with you. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll find it interesting, thought-provoking, and hopefully inspiring. Here is That Vegan Couple. Natasha and Luca, welcome you guys to the podcast. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Jason. It was funny when you said Natasha, you looked at me, and then when you said Luca, you looked at Natasha. I know. I was thinking when I did that too, and I was wondering why I did that. I, I'm just used to saying Natasha and Luca, and, and you happen to be here, and I'm like, so... Let's try. Let's try it again. Actually, <laughs> let's start. Let's start one more time. One more time. Well, I thought so. it was funny. No, that was that good. was cool. You got you got to leave that stuff. Okay, you got to roll with that. So now you have to leave in the bit that um, you said I'm going to edit out. All right. See yeah. How it's well, worked? this is like no no editing is the plan. So yeah. yeah Should no we have a code word in case we we really need to edit something out? Uh, and this is still going in, so I'm just mm, totally taking over your role. I don't know. I don't know. Should we have a code? What would yeah the code word be? Oatmeal. Okay. Oatmeal. All right. If anyone says oatmeal, it's got to be cut. Except that's a good thing though. So why are we using a good word to describe a bad thing? Fine. Bacon. (laughs) Bacon. All right. If anyone says bacon, it means cut, change topic or just, I don't know, jump ship. Okay. All All right. right. Sounds good. (laughs) So um, we're here in Chiang Mai. It's the... The vegan festival is starting up, like the Thai vegan festival is starting yes. up. Have yeah. you guys seen all the all the food coming out in the 7-Elevens or is that some, somewhere you frequent? you guys go to 7-Eleven? Is that somewhere you go to? Well, we just came from 7-Eleven yeah. actually to top up our mobile internet data. So, Do you guys eat there? Do you eat food from 7-Eleven here? Or? We don't. We, we used don't. to in the past. We used okay. to get that coconut nectar syrup. We used to be addicted to that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, tamarind ivy juice, we used to love that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's been a couple of years now since uh, mm. we've been focusing more on whole foods. Yeah. Except lately you've... Uh, Got us onto oh, those. Yeah. What do you call those things? You're such a I bad actually influence, don't know. Jason. I actually don't know what they're called. They're these Japanese. Um, they're like it's like a patty. I don't even. Yeah. I don't know what it's made of. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. It's, it's vegan, right? Yes. And they have a coconut one, a uh, the taro one. Yeah. You got us onto the you taro. You got us onto the taro. You yeah. were right. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah. So just for people listening, this is a sweet. Yeah. It's a dessert. It's it's uh, kind of stodgy. Yeah, it's stodgy like, is a good word. You know what? It's almost like a hot jam donut. I don't know if you do this. Do you have hot jam donuts in Canada? Mm, I don't. We have donuts with jam in them. Yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, so we okay. call them hot jam donuts. Okay, all right. So imagine that, but it's really dense. It's not like super gooey. Yeah, right. not, and not fluffy. And not fluffy. Like a donut. No. No. And then they heat them up and they're just heaven. And so we'd never, ever had this. I mean, we've been in Chiang Mai on and off for a long time. We run into you, Mr. Bad Influence, and he's like, oh, you got to try these things. And we're like, hey, why not? we got to try these things. Well, the normal spot was and closed. And now we're addicted. The normal um, low, you know, low oil or no oil and like whole food, the great, um, the, it's, I'm, I'm Jay, right? Yeah, I'm Jay yeah. In, that's it. The, yeah. In the basement run, floor of, of Maya. Yeah, yeah, run by Mai and Mink. Yes, yeah. Beautiful brother and sister yeah. combo. But anyway, it was closed and I saw you guys and you guys were like, oh, it's closed. What are we going to do? So I'm like, well. Yeah, but that's dessert. <laughs> that's not a meal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now anyway, we're yeah. addicted to these things. So that's where we go. Thanks very much, yeah. Jason. But we we don't really do um, 7-Eleven. But yeah, if you if you but if you do go, I mean, maybe you saw some of this stuff. It's it's not even officially started, but they're starting to stock with all of the they're going to have all kinds of stuff. But you know, they've already yeah. got all these noodles and like you know, buns that have, you know, vegetarian stuff because there's this this um, 10-day vegetarian, they call it vegetarian, really Jay is closer to vegan, 
Um, but it's like a 10 day festival here in Thailand. So there's going to be just loads of stuff all over the place. Yeah. You guys are really going to have to exercise restraint to, <laughs> to stay on your whole foods, you know, because I know you guys do most of your cooking at home, right? Yeah. We do. Yeah. 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 I, so I do remember the festival from a couple of years back though. And we got a great pad thai, didn't we? We did. I mean, Luca kind of, he made it. Um, more of a pad thai that we would want to eat rather than regular street food. So by it, saying, you know, take that out, take that out, take that out, take that. <laughs> the poor lady, she was freaking out. She's like, "What is left besides noodles and just tamarind sauce, basically?" But no, it was fantastic. It was really Once we good. got rid of all the nasty stuff, it was really, really good. Yeah. What we love about the J Festival is they put those funky little J stickers on everything that's vegan, including toilet paper. <laughs> have you seen that they i haven't seen that i've seen it on like broccoli and stuff yeah, yeah. like anything that doesn't involve an animal product even yeah. if it's you know obviously like not something that you're going to eat oh it's vegan mm -hmm. so they just put those stickers <laughs> on everything which i think is super cool mm -hmm. i love yeah. it and then you can take those stickers i put i usually put one on my phone and just use the stickers for yeah, yeah. i've yeah, seen them decorated all over chiang mai yeah, yeah. so Did we have one on a bicycle at one point i think so yeah yeah, yeah. on your bicycle wherever right yeah so yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good time of year in in Thailand because it's it's like a platform to start talking about veganism with with Thai people. And so um, you know, the next couple of weeks we're, we're going to do the Dominion screening this yes. Saturday. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this will be posted by then, but this is we're early. What is it? September. October. October, early October, early October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the fourth. It's right? the fourth, and the screening's and on the sixth. The screening's on the sixth. This podcast will probably not be up, but anyways, just to say, like leading into the festival, and then we're gonna have uh, Cube of Truth um, the next two Sundays for the you know during the during the J Festival, and hopefully the timing is good to sort of get people thinking because a lot of Thai people will eat vegan for ten days of this festival, but the reality is, ten days out of the year is better than zero, but. Yeah. You know, what about the other, you know, 355 days of the year? So it's a good sort of, yeah, way to start a conversation or. Absolutely. And of course, they're doing it for different reasons, aren't they? Yeah. So I don't know a lot about this festival, but I think there's an element of um, spirituality or religion. And it's like, it's good karma for them. Is Mer that right? Yeah. Merit. merit. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't know all of the details, but you're you're right. It is like a religious. Yeah thing but i think that the idea behind it being a religious thing is you're doing a good deed right so if you're doing a good deed for these 10 days yeah why only do the good deed for these 10 days exactly, exactly. that's the yeah. question it begs yeah. yeah and who are you doing the good deed for mm -hmm. like what's the the intention behind it is it for you personally or is mm -hmm. it you know for the animals is it for the planet is it you know because it's the right thing to do or is it just mm -hmm. hey i've got these 10 days you know Brownie points in my pocket kind exactly. of thing. Vegan brownie points. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but as you said, 10 days is better than nothing. And it does open the door for conversation, which is a great thing. For sure. For yeah. sure. Actually, um, Wichaya Pat, who is one of the AV organizers from Bangkok, she's got a YouTube channel and she did a video on it um, recently and it was in Thai. So my understanding of exactly what she was saying was, was limited, but I know she's going to add the English subtitles, but um, you know, it's one thing for us to sort of speculate on this festival. It's another thing entirely for a Thai person to to talk about it and to be essentially s spreading that message that we're talking about. Like, here's it's something good to do for these 10 days. But why is it necessary to go back to harming animals, eating these animal products for, you know, the remainder of the year? So yeah. she she was raising that question. So it's not just coming from us as Western vegans trying to impose whatever. Exactly. Because there are people who will say those kinds of things. They'll oh, say, oh, yes. well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've vegan, heard them. <laughs> veganism's only for, you know, white privileged people, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's yeah. so important to have Thai people 
uh, talking about this, spreading this message, asking the questions and communicating uh, with other Thais in their own language so they understand they're all on the, sum- on the same page. We're actually going up to Bangkok in a or, couple of weeks. Or down? Down, yeah, of course. <laughs> Where are we? I don't know. Going down to Bangkok um, to see her name again. Wichaya Pat. Wichaya Pat. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do uh, our activism workshop down there. And what else are we doing? We're doing a cube, a of, cube truth. of truth. Yeah, and um, we're trying to organise a Dominion screening there as well. Aren't yeah, we? and so we're communicating with her right now. So again, it's just great to have ties involved in this. I think, I think the message has to come from them as well. And Absolutely. and she did a uh, vigil recently, right? They did a pig save mm-hmm. vigil. Um, and she made a video, which was absolutely extraordinary to see. The first one in Thailand. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic video that she put together. Didn't she do well? Yeah. Really effective footage and yeah. the way she put it together and narrated it. It was very, very effective and powerful. Yeah. So it's really good to see. And I, that's the thing. Like, I think it has to come from Thais because you're talking about different culture, different mm-hmm. language, different everything, different mindset. It's so important that the message comes from them, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we can't just come over here as Westerners and expect Thai people to, to you know, receive the message in the same way. It's just no. not, not that the message necessarily needs to change. Um, I mean, the core of what the message is, is still going to be the same, but hearing it from somebody who is from the same country as you, speaks the same language as you, is grown up with the same values, has the same understanding. Like it's just going to, it's yeah. a totally different thing totally in, that, different. in that way. So, yeah. so yeah, it is great to have, um, down in Bangkok, I think it's, half of the organizers of the AV chapter there are Thai. Um, it's something that I'm working on here in Chiang Mai is to get more Thai people involved because that's something yeah. that we are lacking a bit in our cubes here is like Thai people speaking about veganism. Mm-hmm. Um, I can try to speak with my limited uh, Thai abilities, but that, hey, that only goes well. so You I do really to, well, yeah. I had to pull Jason in uh, the other week. <laughs> I was speaking to someone and I just, you know, I don't have enough and, and pulled you in and you were able to take over the conversation. So you did well. I, I can sort of convey like the basics, but when it when it you know when it comes into like philosophical discussions and yeah. stuff, like it's. But I think it's it's one of the ways that I gauge how well I'm doing with Thai is by like how how clearly I can express myself to mm-hmm. somebody about about veganism because that's I mean that's one of the huge motivators for me to learn and study Thai is so that I can you know uh, try to spread the message. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh. It's good to see that things are moving in the right direction here in Thailand for sure. Like that first vigil that happened. I don't know. Are they going to try to plan one for new, when you guys are there? We asked, but apparently I don't think it can be brought together in such a short time frame. Right. So I think they want to set up something a little more official and they might want to have uh, some law enforcement there. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the law enforcement will be asked to stop the trucks on behalf of the activists mm-hmm. uh, so that it's safe. Mm-hmm. I think that's the intention. Obviously, that uh, represents the most ideal uh, vigil situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what they're trying to bed down before they do their next one. Yeah, I think the first one was just um, a bit of a, a trial run. It just sort of came together, um, but there wasn't a lot of structure and they want to make sure it's super safe and maybe even have discussions with the slaughterhouse um, just so everyone's on the same page. So I don't think, well, they said they don't think that can be done by the time we go up in a, a couple of weeks, unfortunately. But long term, you know, that's the aim. So good e- for them. Yeah, either way, you guys going there, giving giving a workshop. You gave a workshop here in Chiang Mai, which was fantastic. That was a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah. Um, and you've given workshops. You've, you've been on your tour and stuff. And I, I want to talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, well, let's 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 take it back a little bit. I want to ask you guys, you know, to share your story a bit because maybe somebody's listening to this, they don't know who you are. Um, I want to know about uh, I want to know about you guys. You know, where do you come from? Who are you guys? Um, <laughs> let's 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 take it if we could do individually before you guys met. Um, 
give me sort of a compact version of, you know, let's, let's start with Luca. Who, who were you, Luca, you know, growing <laughs> up before you met Natasha, who, who are, who are you? Where are you coming from? What's your, what's your story? Well, I was raised eating animal products, just like mm-hmm. the majority of us. And I loved them. And just like everybody, you know, who eats them, loves them, you know, no vegan ever goes vegan because they no longer like the taste of animal products. I would say I was, uh, a real animal product lover and mm. that I can that's as far back as I can remember and I don't know I grew up in a regular family uh, veganism and we didn't hear the word until God, when was it after we were vegetarian we didn't even know what vegan was as vegetarians so mm. I think it was 2011 the beginning of 2011 was the first time we heard the word vegan so I was 31 at that stage so I hadn't even heard the word for the first three decades of my life yeah and just had a regular Childhood, regular family. We're very where, where boring, boring, Jason. Where, where did you Where did you grow up? <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne. So you grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And what, like, did you? What were you? What were you into as a kid? Like, what was your, you know, what, what did you, what hobbies, things like that? Yeah. Sure. So I guess uh, I started judo uh, when I was about oh, seven. Okay. I did that till age eleven, and mm-hmm. then I discovered basketball, and I really, really liked that. So I practiced basketball from say age twelve to age twenty-one, and you're going to tell them about your silly collections. Uh, a lot of trading cards, so <laughs> basketball <laughs> trading cards. You know, I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, so you know that was the golden era of the NBA, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Anyway, um, yeah, I was into all the you know figurines when I was younger, like Star Wars, uh, yep. Transformers, He Man, Masters of the Universe, that type of thing. Uh, Phantom Comics, uh, yeah, real sort of geeky boy, I guess. There you go, nice, yeah. but athletic as well. Yeah, yeah, did the sports as well. Um, that's it, I think. And then we met at age... 10. 10. 10. So you didn't know that, Although the way you? I said that, it sounds like we got together at age 10. No, no, no. No, we didn't get together at age so 10. So you guys grew, did you grow up in the same neighborhood or... Yeah, we were okay. like five minute drive away from each other. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because I moved to your area. Like I was living somewhere else in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And then we moved uh, when I was in... Grade five. Yeah, so you were ten. Yeah, ten. Or we were both oh, yeah. ten. Yeah. And so, and so, what were you like as a kid when you when you guys would have met for the first time? What kind of things were you into? Uh, you know, trading cards and basketball <laughs> and no, stuff too. Jason, or what, what actually, were you? <laughs> you know what? I did start playing basketball. There you go. <laughs> a couple of years later, yeah, I did get into basketball. I was the um, what was the one at the top of the the guard? Was it guard? Guard, yeah. So where they put the short people that play basketball? <laughs> point right? guards. Yeah, guards, yeah, I was one of those. I just kind of like jumped around a lot and threw my hands in the air. Wasn't very <laughs> cool. good at it. Um, yeah, we met at age 10 because where we moved, my family moved, we were, ended up being five-minute drive away from each other. But we met because we went to the same primary school. Exactly. We're in the same class. Um, wow. Luca was very good with numbers. I'm not good with numbers. So come math class, I started, you know, looking over his shoulder and he moved his hand away so I could cheat and copy his answers. And then I got busted and then they made me sit somewhere else. And so wow that's I, d- I didn't realize you guys went so far back yeah way back yeah that's what uh 1990 so it's what's that 28 years ago is it did i get that right possibly i feel very old yeah. now 1990 yeah 28 years yeah. 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 yeah 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 that's it then we went to separate high schools and my sisters went to your co-ed high school mm. and we kind of exchanged messages through my sisters didn't we mm. in the old days in, in <laughs> the sense that we kind of always yeah, you know, it's from sort of age 16. Hold on, hold on. Go back to 10. He liked me in primary school, just so I get the record. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was right? wondering about that. Like, yeah. was it just, okay. And I always thought, he's too tall. 
No way. Maybe later on when I'm older and I grow up a little bit more and I'm taller like Luca. Well, that never happened, did it? (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, that's kind of. And and the funny thing was actually back. I don't know if you did this in your high school, in your uh, primary school. We would have like um, older mentors for the younger students. Did you ever do that kind of thing? Like yeah, a, we had some sort of programs like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Lucas, uh, yeah, little like when ugh, start again. <laughs> when we were in grade five, so we were ten. Your younger person that you would take care of was my brother, mm. who was in like first level school. Um, so okay. yeah, there was a little connection there. I don't know. Did you pick that on purpose, or did he pick you, or did I tell him to pick you? How I can't remember the details, but it's quite amazing Some, when you think about it. That's isn't it. it. Yeah. So you know, something happened there. Whatever. The universe aligned us. And then at age 16, we took part in Toastmasters International Speaking Competition. And that was hosted at my college. Yeah. And so you would come over on a weekly basis? I think it was, yeah, at least weekly. Right. And then... We were super geeks, right? We did public speaking competitions for fun. Okay. Right? Okay. And debating and there you stuff go. like that. <laughs> hey, debating, that's coming in handy now. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you started debating in at age 10 in primary school, I remember. Yeah, that's right. Right. So yeah. you've had it in you right from I then. like to argue, aren't you lucky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she was always good at debating at age 10 and 11 and then great at public speaking from ages, you know, what, 15, 16? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's definitely held her in good stead for outreach conversations. For sure. Today. So. Oh, Anyhow, yeah, so we did this competition. It was at your high school. Yeah, and then you, I don't know, I was low on self-confidence at that time with the ladies. And so I sort of declined a very obvious advance by you, which oh. I look back at now and I think, oh, God. Uh, well, what was, well, yeah, what did that look like exactly? <laughs> <laughs> so we had this competition was um, kind of a, an amalgamation of the schools in the area. So okay. um, I don't know, maybe five people from each of the, the schools coming together. Yeah, that sounds about right. Right? And we all had different roles to play during that time. And sometimes uh, you'd have to step up and be like uh, the lunch break server. So, you know, just taking around some – there were biscuits. There was a tray of biscuits and some tea or whatever it was. Mm. And um, it was my turn to hold the tray and I was going around and, you know, I saw Luca over there and he was with his mates. And I went over with the tray and I said, would you like a biscuit? <laughs> Which is kind of like the 16-year-old equivalent, would you like to come up for coffee, you know? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and you said no. I know. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm offering you a biscuit. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, you, I still regret it to this you day. You didn't have to specifically offer the biscuits. You just had to walk around and, and sort of yeah, give Yeah, I mean, exactly. I was just holding the tray. Whoever wanted them, right? That's right. Yeah, but, but I, I went over. This is a over. specific yeah. biscuit for you Correct. that there you declined. a very strong implied inference there. And, uh, and yeah. then I ended up dating your friend as a, well, he took the biscuit, buddy. You, <laughs> did, you passed up the biscuit. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. No. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. And then, so how did you guys eventually, uh, eventually you, you know, you did get together. So how, when did that happen? Was that a few years later? Yeah, it was on the eve of my 18th birthday. Okay. He didn't say no to the second round of biscuits. No. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thankfully. You learned, you learned the, uh, yeah, yeah, learned the lesson. (laughs) I learned the lesson. (laughs) And we were both at a, it was your best friend, Mm. uh, 18th birthday party. Yeah. Yeah. And because I knew her as well, Mm -hmm. I was there. And uh, yeah, that was it. Mm. That's cool. And then, so you guys um, used to be yoga teachers, and uh, you know, doing other things other than all the vegan stuff that you're doing now. So, um, and I'm guessing when you were 18 and you first got together, you were not vegan. Um, now, I remember watching the video that you guys had on your channel of the BBC, and they had they had said like, so we've heard that 
veganism saved your marriage. And you guys are like, what? <laughs> um, but I remember seeing in a video somewhere that there was some kind of like an ultimatum. Is that correct? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I guess that in that sense, you could say that had you not, you know, ex I mean, walk me through what that looked like, because I don't want to, you know, say anything that's incorrect. But what, what did that look like exactly? Unless you do a BBC. So, so you were, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I, I haven't been on the phone to BBC or anything. They're not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I yeah. just, but I just think it's interesting because you were not vegan when you, when you got together and then you went vegetarian together like what did that look like that all right evolution? so we're talking yeah. about okay so we got we we knew each other since age 10 yeah we've been together for 20 years since mm -hmm. age 18 and we've been married for uh 14 of those 18 14, 14 of those 20 years yeah mm. right so we're talking big numbers here yes right? and we were like where did the bbc get that yeah and then we went back and we looked at our website our about us page uh -huh. and we're like you know what i think we got to rewrite that because maybe they just kind of took a few things from there and came up with something so we actually redid that page oh just, just because of that just to make it's it not that anything was inaccurate but we could start to see how maybe things could be misconstrued yeah right. and just kind right. of piece together this line and that line if you're not you know, we're we're a, we're detail people. Yeah. If you're not a details person, and you're glossing over something, and you see a website called That Vegan Couple, and on the about page we're talking about uh, a quarter life changes. crisis and making yeah. changes, mm -hmm. people could very easily think, oh, okay, maybe it was veganism that was the big change, and mm. that type which of it wasn't. All right, so let's just get that let's clear. <laughs> we redid the about us page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. All right. So we got married. Yeah. Age twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, basically had a quarter life crisis. We were yeah. working corporate jobs. Uh, I was in banking and Natasha was in corporate communications. And Started with journalism, moved into corporate communications. And yeah, we were just caught up in the whole, you know, consumerism, wealth creation, all that kind of typical Western mindset. And we realized after a while of being on that mouse wheel that we were kind of miserable. Yeah, we were, and and you know, when when two people come together in a relationship, you're not you don't make a you're not whole just because you bring two halves together. You know, right. each half needs to be whole or close to whole for sure uh, to to make a third circle, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and so we weren't whole as individuals, and we were very young, very young. You know, we hadn't just experienced stuff and life and work stuff out, and then you put us together, and you're supposed to everything's supposed to work. Perfectly. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen like that. You know? mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, a couple of years in, things were just like, oh, we've got to deal with this stuff. And, and eventually, yeah, as you said, there was an ultimatum. And we've spoken about this on our po podcast show as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we've got an episode on relationships where we talk about our relationship in yeah. depth. and It's our most popular episode because <laughs> okay, everybody cool. wants to know the juicy details. Give us the drama. Give us the gossip. What okay. happened? <laughs> all right. So we can we can save all the details and stuff for that. But, <laughs> but the, ge the gist of it was you basically. Yeah, I gave Luca an ultimatum. Yeah. yeah I said, okay, we've got to fix some stuff. We've got, we got to sort stuff out. You're either with me or I'm, I'm out of here. This is what I'm doing with my life. Are you coming or not? And that ultimatum was... That was about veganism, or was no. it about something else? What was it about exactly? Our marriage. Okay. I'm out the door, buddy. Let's okay. get our. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Sure. Yeah. Whatever you okay, want to say. Let's get our yeah. shit together. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. Or I'm out. So this was. We didn't even know what the word vegan was. We okay. weren't vegetarian. We're talking about 12 years ago now. Yeah, we're talking about uh, 2007. Okay. So I what's see. that? Okay. 11. Years 11 ago. years ago. Yeah. Right. See, I thought I, and this is maybe I don't know why, but I thought that that was 
you saying, I'm going vegan, no. either you're going vegan uh, or I'm out. No. So that, that's not what it was. Absolutely not. That, okay. was, that was us just saying, we got to sort our stuff out. we got to sort our marriage stuff out. Okay. Right? The kind of stuff that most couples, and look, this is quite the generalization, but they probably just try to keep swept under the carpet mm. for their entirety of their relationship and maybe it blows up at age 50 with a midlife crisis or something like that. Right. Fortunately, we dealt with it at quarter life stage. Yeah, and I think that's because we got together so young. So our, and everything our, was quite fast-tracked, Exactly. Wasn't it? Our quarter life was the equivalent of someone's midlife. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was it. I just uh, – we needed to st- sort our stuff out. I wanted to – I wanted to travel. I wanted to experience. I wanted to just stop working so much and change our priorities and just live. I wanted to live. Okay. Um, and you were obviously on board with that. Yeah. Well, I was here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I valued uh, our relationship more than the things that I was doing in the relationship that were harming the relationship. Mm. So it was just a conscious choice in that moment, given the ultimatum I was given. And I'm very glad that I made that choice. And yes, I am sitting here today a very happy man. And I'm not kicking him under the table, I promise. <laughs> happy wife, happy happy life, as the uh, <laughs> our vegan web designer once said, didn't he? I know. You hated it when he said that, I'm didn't like, you? I'm like, mate, you're not making me happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Jay, so what we did, um, we took a 12-month sabbatical. Okay. So we left the corporate gigs behind and we went and explored the world. And at the last three months of the 12-month sabbatical, we ended up in an ashram in India. Okay. An ashram is just a place where you practice yoga and meditation. Had, had you already been practicing? No. No. Okay, okay, so, so this, this was like our the, first foray okay. into yoga. Gotcha. And, and, we, this, and this was the first thing, like as a result of this, we need to change. Is this sort of the first place that, that you went to? Or no. So the, it was a 12-month sabbatical. Twelve okay. months sabbatical, the last three months of which last, were at this uh, gotcha. ashram in India. The okay. first nine months were more uh, just your typical type of travel in we Europe and North America. Okay. And, mm. Yeah. So anyway, we read this book, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, number one New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how she spent 12 months and split it up in three different countries. Uh, it was in Italy. Italy, India and Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. And her time in India, the four months there, she was also in an ashram. And that's mm. the first time we'd heard about what an ashram was and the experiences that she had there really resonated with us. And we're like, yeah, I think there's, we, we think there's something in there for us. Yeah. Well, it was actually, actually, I'm just thinking, but <laughs> go back a little bit further. We were in Italy on a yoga retreat. Okay. And this was something that I was researching when we were back home in Melbourne, having our little quarter life crisis. Um, you, you know, we were looking for something more, something deeper. There has to be more to life the than materialism. Just, exactly. Right. right. And so what do you turn to? You turn to yoga because that's just what Westerners do when they're having a, some kind of crisis. <laughs> that's what happened to Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't read the book until much later. So anyway, I researched. That's true. Yeah. I researched this um, uh, yoga retreat that was happening in Italy, in Tuscany. I'm like, wow, this is amazing because we were also what's the what's the film called? Under the Tuscan Sun. Yes. Right. So at the mo- at that point we were like Italy obsessed, Europe obsessed, Tuscany obsessed. You know, mm-hmm. we just we loved everything about that. And so I found this yoga retreat that was happening in Tuscany, or everything aligned. We're like, yes, great, booked a scene, we're going there. And this was within the first three months of that sabbatical. That's right. Right. Our yoga teacher at that retreat was an American woman. And Everyone else in the retreat for that week were older than us. Middle-aged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we half, were the odd ones out. We, we really were. I was the only guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it was. Oh, it was so funny. You had no clue. It was really bad. Your big knees were kind of around your ears trying to sit down on the ground. It was just, it was very comical. <laughs> that's, I think that's it. often the case in, um, in yoga, you know, circles is you, you get a lot of females and yeah. It's yeah. true. It's a bit it's like happens. veganism, actually. Yeah. yeah. Single yeah. guys out there, if you're not vegan and you haven't got a partner, what are you doing? You're crazy. Mm. True? Uh, well, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I'm, I'm just looking at the statistics. You're looking yeah. at basically, at most, I would say 70%, uh, 30% male, 70% female. Mm. If not, it's mm-hmm. an 80-20 split. So go vegan and go to a yoga class, basically. Yeah. So anyhow, the exactly yoga teacher pulls said. us aside at some point and she sits us down and she says, all right, you two, what's your story? And we're like, what? She says, what's your story? You don't fit in here. Everyone's older. You're a young couple. What are you doing here? What's the story? Yeah. And we're like, whoa, this is deep. She knows too much. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we told her our story. Uh-huh. And we told her the stuff we were going through, the problems we were having, the stuff we are working out. And uh, she said, you have to read a book called Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right. The yoga teacher said we have to read the book. Fine. So the next time we were at an airport, we went to the bookstore, picked it up. I read it first. And I didn't speak to her for the whole time whilst reading it. I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to read this book. I finished the book. I still didn't say anything. I said, you read it. So I read it. And at the end of reading it, I turned to Natasha and I said, so we're going to India, right? I'm like, yeah, baby, let's book. <laughs> but I was totally on board with it as well. I knew cool. that we needed something. And that sounded really amazing, That her experience there for four months. So we got online and we looked actually we we emailed the the yoga teacher yeah. from uh, Tuscany from from India from Italy yeah. and uh, we said we read the book and now we're going to go to India and she's like oh my god you're actually doing it what the hell's wrong with you but we had no idea what we were doing and so we asked her for advice you know can you recommend an ashram and she said well actually a friend of mine just went to this place so we were just we were totally going by universe lead us mm-hmm. we were just like have you seen that that movie i think it's called the yes men or something they just say oh, yes to everything okay that's what we were like on that 12 month sabbatical anything that came our way we're like yep let's do it let's do it we bungee jumped we went to an ashram we did all kinds of stuff yeah. that we would or that most people would sort of think uh no i've got reservations or i don't know about that which we had too at one point in our lives but we knew things weren't working so we thought let's change it up let's that, do the opposite of everything that was that the we're... whole point exactly, exactly. Yeah. so when the yoga teacher said read this we said yes when you know we said okay we need to go at an ashram where do we go and she threw out a name at us we said yes mm-hmm. and so we just went on that and it was the best one of the best things we've ever done. She actually came and visited us oh, nice. in the ashram during that three months, remember? Yeah, she did, yeah. Yeah. And I remember we knew we were going to be eating a vegetarian diet at the ashram. We'd already researched that on their website. And the, even the thought of that freaked us out because we were so animal product centric uh, with our diets. And we thought, oh, we're going to have a die of a protein deficiency or an iron deficiency. I think we bought tablets with us, like multivitamins, mm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we did. We yeah. had multivitamins. And we also made sure that we stocked up on animal products, gorged ourselves on animal products before going into the oh, wow. ashram just so we get our protein and, and iron beer. levels right up. I remember we drank a lot of beer <laughs> yeah. right before. It was like beer and meat, let's get that into us because we're going to die without these two things for three months. Yeah. You know, how do you exist without meat and beer? Yeah. So we get in there and we start feeling fatigued because, of course, we're only eating – they had two buffet meals. It's probably meals. hungover. <laughs> yeah, they, really. <laughs> they had two buffet meals a day. So maybe calorie-wise, we were probably eating less than we would when we had our three standard square meals. Yeah. But we didn't know anything about calories in, calories out at that point. 
And we put it down to a, a protein and iron deficiency. So we're walking around, you know, mopey and grumpy <laughs> and blaming it on the lack of uh, animal protein and iron. I mean, we're eating more chickpeas than we had ever had before in our lives. Yeah, but we know, knew but nothing we knew about nothing. nutrition. We were just clueless. Anyway, we went in uh, with the full intention of, look, if you didn't eat the vegetarian diet, you were out. So uh, the owner, we, we knew what we were up for. And we said, okay, we can do it for three months. You can do anything for three months. But we fully intended to return to eating our standard diet of animal products once we left the ashram. Six weeks into our stay, they screened a documentary film called Diet for a New America, based on the book by the same name by the author John Robbins, uh, a family member of the Baskin and Robbins ice cream company, mm -hmm. who actually turned his back on the family company because, oh, wow. yeah, he uh, he had an, uh, basically... Uh, he woke up. Yeah. He, woke he woke up. up. He saw what the industry that his family was involved in and the ramifications it was having for people's health, the lives of animals and the quality of the environment. And he's like, I can't participate in that anymore. Anyway, so basically the documentary talks about his story and, and everything he found on his uh, journey to investigate uh, the detrimental effects of animal products on health, animals and the environment. And at the end of the 59 minutes... Well... There were, the room was full of about, say, 300 people. Oh, wow. Right, so big hall. We had never seen anything like this before. Nothing. Nothing, nada. Just no clue. At the end of this film, most people were already vegetarian, mind you. So they all start clapping. They're applauding. We looked at each other and just thought, oh, F. Now we're going to have to be vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were angry for two reasons. The first was what you just said, oh, damn it, we've got to be vegetarian now because we can't unknow what we've just seen. And mm. uh, the second reason we were angry was how come it's taken us until age 29 mm. to see this for the first time? Mm -hmm. So they were the two sources of anger. Yeah. And we went back to our room that night and uh, we said, look, that it's just there was a knowingness. It wasn't even a choice. It was just we know it now. That's what we have to do. Mm. And never, ever did we ever think that we would come to that conclusion as we were going into the ashram. So that was the start. So that was back in January 2009. Now, at that point, we still hadn't heard the word vegan, hadn't even heard of it. Mm -hmm. We weren't on social media. Even if we were, social media in 2009 wasn't what it is today from what we understand in 2018. And just as an example, yeah. I remember when we went back home after that 12-month sabbatical, we were at my grandmother's house and she was cooking us up something and it was with eggs and uh, cheese, I'm pretty sure, and... I remember she said to me, um, I know you don't eat meat anymore, but you still eat like dairy products and, and eggs and you still eat those things. And I remember saying, yeah, of course, I can't give up those things. You know, I've, I've, that's going too extreme. You know, I've done enough by giving up meat. That, I was one of those people, Jason. Mm. I said that because I didn't know. We didn't know about okay. the dairy production. We didn't know about egg production. And we really thought that giving up meat was enough. That's all we needed to do. For anyone who has watched the documentary film Diet for New America, they might be thinking, oh, I'm pretty sure they touched on the dairy and egg industries. Now, they did, but there was an issue there in that they didn't use the word vegan. Mm. Uh, they So you kind of – the ashram was only vegetarian. That was the first time we'd been in any kind of vegetarian environment. As I said, we still hadn't heard the word vegan. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in use back in then when they made that film in 1991. Uh, obviously, the word existed, but it just wasn't as, as commonly used. And I think it was this whole, we we only thought there were two ways of eating. 
eating animal products or being vegetarian. We didn't realize there was this third option because the the diet in the ashram wasn't vegetarian. No, this wasn't vegan. There was just – it was like vegan didn't exist in, in our, our minds. minds. Mm. We, it was and like you know we could I, only see, oh, you, you stop eating meat, mm. even though they've just shown you that dairy and eggs are, are not mm. good. You know what I mean? But I also think because we went into that situation totally unaware and not expecting it, it's like it – it came from uh, left of centre and it just smacked us. Well, yeah. And it was like, it was such a, a, a mind fire truck, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. right, that we just couldn't comprehend anything more than this right now. We yeah. ju- it, just, it was just too much. Like yeah. your, our whole world was crumbling with the idea of not eating meat again. But yeah. it, and it wasn't like we were blocking veganism as a viable option. We just it didn't was know as if we didn't know it was a viable option. option. No, yeah. I get does it. That, does that I, yeah. make sense? Yeah, I get it. And I think also it's it's just like to, to think like, oh, I'm going to go vegetarian. I'm going to stop eating meat. That's like, I mean, for you guys then and for a lot of people now, like that's a lot. Oh, and, we thought that was, you know, everything. Yeah. And, and so and so even it's almost like, well, I, I'm not even ready to maybe think about giving up cheese or eggs. And a lot of people are in that position. Like when I talk to them, like, oh, well, you know, I could see myself giving up meat. And then they're already being hard pressed just to say that. But, oh, I don't know. I just don't I can't give up my cheese yeah. and my dairy and stuff. So what, what was so weird was that. The reason we went vegetarian after watching that documentary was because we're like, okay, so meat is killing and killing is unethical when it's needless. But for some reason, our minds couldn't make the same connection with dairy and eggs. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just think it wasn't – you look, two years later, or yeah, two so, and a half years? Yeah, so what was it that yeah. made, took you that next step? Gary Yurovsky. Yeah, okay. You know, it's, someone needed to just spell it out super clear. And I think yeah. this has had such an impact on – us now as activists and how we communicate on our channel um, and in our activism, um, we're very, very clear with the information that we don't beat around the bush and kind of leave it up to people to piece things together. This is vegetarian. This is vegan. This is why dairy and eggs are unethical and still causing you know just as much harm, if not more harm, uh, than the meat production. The, well, the, the same is, industries. Exactly, you know. they're the same. The suffering is prolonged. So we're very clear because that's exactly what Gary did for us. This is why definitions and terms and words yep. matter. Mm-hmm. So if they'd used those definitions, words and terms in Diet for New America back in 1991, we would have got it. Mm-hmm. But because or at least known that it was an option. At least know, and we didn't know it was – that was January 2009. It wasn't until January 2011 when we were working at a yoga retreat – well, it was a detox centre where we were the yoga teachers in Thailand and – Somebody came to the re- uh, retreat center and we were having a chat and they said they were, they were a raw vegan. That was the very first time we'd heard the word vegan. So okay. two years after watching this documentary. And a raw vegan at that, we're like, where wow. planet yeah. do you come from? Because we still weren't on social media <laughs> no. back then. We were still avoiding it because we thought it was like Facebook it's was like stalkerbook and it was the CIA's monitoring tool and apparently they were able to you know, slash their <laughs> workforce in half because everyone was keeping tabs on each other. And it's probably true you know <laughs> but hey now we're on it we got to use it yeah, to our advantage right? exactly <laughs> and it was six months or it was about eight months after meeting that raw vegan that we watched Gary Orofsky's best speech ever on YouTube it was our first time on social media using social media watching some other vegan uh, video that another guest at the retreat center had said hey you should check out this she was vegetarian vegetarian right uh and so we're watching that and we're thinking okay well it's like about veganism um and then down the recommended uh, panel on the side, there was Gary Orofsky's 
best speech you'll ever hear. Mm-hmm. And we're like, wow, okay, with a title like that, you have to click on it at least. Yeah. And then we're like, an hour? Oh, no way we're giving this guy an hour of our time. We'll give him 10 minutes tops and then we're moving on. An hour later, we yeah. were vegan. Yeah. yeah. And again, the same thing happened like when we went vegetarian. There was a knowingness. We looked at each other at the end of Gary's speech and we said, well, now we're vegan. Mm-hmm. Tea is crying, you know, flowing. Yeah. The cat comes in, as you do in Thailand. There's always a cat that comes in through the restaurant. Um, cat comes in right towards my leg. I'm terrified of cats. Cats don't like me. All of a sudden, this cat's coming towards me. I'm crying. The cat's sensing it, rubs himself on my leg. I'm touching the cat for the first time in my life, saying that I'm sorry. Mm. You know, it was such a moment. Um, and that was it. So long story short, no, we didn't nearly divorce because of veganism. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, 20 minutes later? <laughs> no, it's good, it's good to have a context, you know, and it's very it's interesting to hear everybody and, you know, everybody's journey. Not everybody goes vegan overnight. It sounds like you guys sort of had those two steps. It was like you yeah. essentially went vegetarian overnight yeah. and then event, and then went, went vegan overnight after that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the reason we went into such detail about the the specifics of our particular story is because if you're on social media today, mm-hmm. it's a lot, 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 lot clearer yeah. about the difference between veganism yeah. and vegetarianism. And it's a lot mm-hmm. harder to plead ignorance mm-hmm. that you didn't know about veganism. Everyone's got a vegan family member, friend, colleague who's they're following on Facebook and they're posting something. Yeah. So it on, in 2018, a lot harder to plead ignorance than yeah. you know, 2009, 2011. Exactly. And... Uh, you guys are a big part of that on YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of your videos are popping up all the time and you're doing lots of videos now. So how did that, how did that start? I mean, you saw Gary's speech and then w- what was it that made you guys, because it was four years ago or so, four or five years ago, you guys started YouTube. I was something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's uh, April 14, 2014. So, so four and a half. Yeah. So what was the inspiration for that? Like what, what, what made you guys want to get on onto YouTube? Well, what happened was after we saw Gary's speech, I mean, we were yoga teachers at that point. So, oh, by the way, once we finished from the ashram, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we continued our yoga practice. Okay. And we did so many things in the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. one of them was to become yoga teachers. So mm-hmm. we went from, you know, just had no clue whatsoever what we we're doing on the mat to it just helped us so much. It's a beautiful practice. It really changed our lives. And uh, we we became very passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And so then we said, oh, we want to become yoga teachers. So we did our yoga teacher training. And again, Luca was the only uh, guy on the training course. Yeah, and I think at the retreat in Italy that you were talking about earlier, that yoga holiday, there was only, you know, 15 people. Mm. So it was one male in 15. But at the yoga teacher training, it was one in 30, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. We <laughs> survived. And then we were yoga teachers and that was great. And so we did uh, we did more travel, we did more teaching and experience things and we did lots of different jobs in between, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we ended up, we were running vegan yoga retreats. So we would take people. So you people, were incorporating it. Yeah. Exactly. We would take people, uh, you know, basically for like a week-long holiday uh, with us in, say, Bali, for example, and uh, we would do yoga, but we'd also teach them about veganism. We'd give mm. uh, presentations about the ethics and the health and the environment. We'd screen films. Uh, we'd just veganize them for a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they really should go hand in hand. I mean, when you hear that's right, people to, like yoga is not just stretching and, yeah. you know, there's more to it. And all of that stuff that does go deeper than the stretching, it really, I mean... It's pretty hard, I think. I mean, maybe people will disagree, but I don't know how you can really be living by a lot of the teachings of yoga yeah. and still be contributing to 
these industries. You're spot on, Jason. In fact, the ethical foundation of yoga is ahimsa, meaning non-harming or non-violence. Mm. So you are, are not practicing yoga if you are not vegan. It's, it's actually quite as simple as that if you want to cut right down to it. Mm. And it was infuriating for us as vegan yoga teachers to work in an industry, and it, it is an industry, mm-hmm. uh, whereby so many people were spouting peace and spirituality and you know all of that stuff but not actually living a vegan lifestyle there were very very few and far between vegan yoga practitioners and it used to just yeah do our heads in all the time didn't it yeah so anyhow we were doing these vegan yoga retreats um and they were great but it was a lot of work to put into it maybe six months organizing for a one-week uh retreat with we would cap them at say 15 was our maximum because we wanted to keep it quite intimate. And although it was a great week, we started thinking, geez, we're not reaching enough people and it's taking too long. Because mm-hmm. ultimately it's a numbers game. Yeah. Of those 15 people, it's always going to be the same percent, small percentage of people that will actually ultimately go on to adopt a vegan lifestyle. So if your number that you're dealing with is only 15, it's going to take forever to yeah. veganize the world that way. And a lot of people that were coming along were already vegan and they just wanted a you know a great week of being in a vegan-friendly environment on their holiday, which yeah. was also great. They were learning about health and nutrition and, you know, that's great. But you're starting to think, like, how do we how take do this How do we get this bit level? bigger? And yeah. so what we noticed, because we still weren't on social media then, right? We didn't even have a smartphone. We got our first smartphone. <laughs> it was a second-hand one in 2014. <laughs> it's embarrassing. But that's just, you know. So, it is what it is. Well, we saw everybody were on these, these devices, these yeah. phones, right? And so they're all looking at these things and they're all scrolling and they're looking at something. And we said... Everyone's on these damn devices. We got to get on that because they're watching something. So they might as well be watching us yeah. talking about veganism. Yeah. And that's when we realized, all right, we don't like it, but you got to be in it to change it. Mm-hmm. So get on, get on social media and yeah. use it for good instead of evil. Yeah, for right? sure. For sure. And Just, now we live our lives on social media. Yeah. You know, and yet if the world were to go vegan tomorrow, we'd be off it straight away. Yeah. But we do what... Uh, needs to be done yeah because and it's the most effective way to reach the largest amount of people uh, in the most easy easiest way you know for it's, sure. uh, so that that's why we do it that's why we got on you know you, yeah. you have one conversation with somebody that's fantastic but you're reaching one person you make a video about that conversation you put it online you're reaching hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands potentially millions of people mm-hmm. uh, that's priceless absolutely um i had a look back before we met today and I was looking at, I, I, I did the, I did the videos, uh, oldest to newest. Oh, oh no, geez, that's embarrassing. Banned from we doing that. somehow get that feature turned off on oh, our channel. That's so embarrassing. I just, I just, it's just, cause I wanted to see, cause I know you guys, now your videos, you do tons of, you know, outreach videos. Like there's so many great conversations that like you say, like you can, you can go to a cube of truth, mm. have an outreach conversation with somebody. It could be a great conversation. That person may go, go vegan or maybe not, but, if you put that conversation on social media, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of people see that conversation and it has such a wider reach. Um, but you weren't always doing those kinds of videos when it first started out, those first videos, you know, lifestyle yoga was still very much, you know, a part of what you guys were doing then. And there's been an evolution of sorts over the years. So has, has there been, I guess, sort of what, what has, inspired this this change this move to more you know activism you're doing response videos now responding to people um you know these activism like going out having outreach conversations um what is it 
that has, you know, because there still are people doing videos like you guys used to do, where yeah. it's more like, you know, more recipes and sort of, um, yeah. what's, the, what's the word? So lifestyle. The, lifestyle, yeah, lifestyle. Yeah. So for you guys, what what is the motivation for that sort of di direction change? So there were a few different things that happened over the last four and a half years. Um, when we started to do response videos to other larger YouTubers, that's when the channel really started to grow. We started to, and that's that's the whole intention is to, tap into other YouTubers, larger audiences, bring the message to them. You have to be proactive. So we can't wait for someone to go, oh, I'm thinking about veganism. I might just go and do a search for um, a recipe. That's great. But we as vegans have to be proactive and, and quote unquote, force the message into people's feeds because it's, it's a very competitive industry. And I'm talking about YouTube here. There are how many videos uploaded? An insane number. It's ridiculous a number of every minute. Yeah. yeah. So what we started to do was, all right, let's tap into other people's large audience. So we started to do response videos. And I think that was around twelve to eighteen months into the channel. Okay. That's yep. when they started. We've got over 160 response videos now on the channel. And I think they started twelve to eighteen months into it. Mm. And so that was um Definitely a big shift in the channel and drawing new people to the message. That was fantastic. And then after a while, I mean, we had done, I don't know how many at that point. And then we just went, you know what? We need a bit of a, a break from this as well. You know, we got sick of them because we're saying the same thing. And that's the thing. It's the same message every single time. I'm under eating. Oh, I don't feel good on a vegan diet or oh, I'm going to do low carb or whatever. It's the same thing. Calorie restriction and low carb and or weight you loss. Can Love animals and eat them too. That's yes. another common theme. Yeah. So we did so many of them. And then it got to a point, Jason, we're just like, you know what? I can't make one more damn response video. Just stop it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, But you're we, still making we're them. Still making I them. Know, <laughs> we're still making them. We're still making them. We have more variety now. Yeah. yeah. And, and so in terms of more of the street activism, that came into play because of two things. First of all, the three main movements uh, – that are taking off at the moment. So you've got Anonymous for the Voiceless with their Cubes of Truth, the Save Movement with their Vigils and Direct Action Everywhere. Um, they weren't what they are now back when we first started the channel. In fact, Anonymous for the Voiceless only started in April of 2016. Yeah. We started the channel two years prior to that. Yeah. So the street activism wasn't even on the sort of global radar at that point. I mean, people have been doing it for decades, of course, yeah. but the popularity of it uh, is obviously grown exponentially in the last two years thanks largely to anonymous or the voiceless and then the other thing was uh we were traveling a lot we we're spending a lot of time in thailand where those things weren't set up so i know we've got the cube now mm -hmm. um, but that didn't get here till november 2016 yeah yeah so eventually we ended up uh back in australia and then that's when we had access to joining these these groups and doing this kind of uh, street activism or traditional activism. Mm -hmm. and Which was uh, November 2017. Yeah. And yeah. so that's when uh, we were able to put that on the channel. So it's, you know, your channel evolves with you and, and your lifestyle and where you're at and where you're living and what you're doing is going to be reflected through your content. So when something changes in our world, then you're going to see that on the channel as well. It's, it's crazy to think that it's only been just, you know, two and a half years or whatever that anonymous for the voiceless has been yeah. around um it's crazy just the like all the stuff that's happened in the past two years over 700 chapters across around 60 different countries in just over two years that's amazing, amazing. two and a half years yeah it incredible is. you've had some really great conversations too like at, at those cubes there was one conversation where you sort of broke down crying at the end of it you were talking to this guy yeah um what 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 was it i mean 
I'll, I'll put a link to that conversation if somebody wants to watch it. It's a great conversation. But you, I think you said you've never cried before during an outreach conversation. So what was it about that person you were talking to or about that conversation mm. that, that you know led you to, to tears? Well, there were a few other factors that didn't come through in that video, um, which obviously I can talk to you about now. So we were doing a US activism tour earlier this year, and that conversation happened in Portland, and that was halfway through the three-month tour. That's right. And uh, the tour was really intense. It was exhaustingly intensive. Just to give you an idea for the listeners who uh, haven't heard anything about it, basically we would fly in somewhere first thing in the morning and then that evening we would have a meet-up at a vegan eatery and we'd meet, greet and eat for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and then we would give a hour and a half activism workshop and then we'd have Q&A for half an hour. And then the next morning might be an early morning save movement vigil. It could be 4 a.m. So we might have to be up at 3. Uh, and then in the next day might be a cube of truth. The following day might be a DXE disruption. And then we're off to the next city to do it all over again. 16 cities in just under three months. So it was quite intense. Just go, go, it was go, 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 go. And a lot of time and energy planning that, you know, mm. just to coordinate. We could have four, one, two, we could be talking about up to five people in each city that we're liaising with to organize. You know, you've got your host, your drivers, your every, it just, it was super, super intense. Times so, that by 16 cities and it was all, and so your point, halfway through, halfway through. we're kind of like, oh, okay, this is pretty intense. <laughs> right. And you're tired. And when you're tired, you, you start to get emotional as well. You just, you're getting worn down. And we were obviously doing a lot of street, street activism, a lot of conversations. So you're talking to people. Talking to people nonstop. And, you know, it's, at some point I was like, Luca, I don't want to speak to anybody about veganism again. I need just to put my head in a in a bucket for a week <laughs> and not hear or listen or say I, anything. I get that feeling too. I, I mean, after you've had a few conversations. Like some, it's funny. Sometimes I go to a cube of truth and it seems every conversation is great. Yeah. Other nights you go and just every conversation, nobody gets it. Yeah. And so, you know, you get that feeling where you're talking to so many people and it's like nobody cares. Like, mm. Yeah, it can get exhausting. It gets emotional when you're not sleeping right. You're, you're feeling things more intense if you're not eating right. You know, you're on the road. So not all of our meals were as clean and healthy as we usually Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine like how much that would... Just, it all affects just, your body yeah, and then your yeah, emotions and how you respond to sure. things. And so that, that night... That <laughs> night in Portland, we were actually going to make a video and call it the walkaway episode or something like that because all of the conversations practically that Natasha had leading up to this one conversation that you've referred to, Jason, with a guy and Natasha Cry, uh, people did, were not open to hearing about veganism at all. Like they're literally walking off on Natasha, mm. one after the other after the other. It was just one of those weird energetic well, nights. Well, it was super mm. strange because it's Portland, Oregon, and Portland is supposed to be this super you know, vegan haven, yeah. it's really progressive and we're thinking, oh, this is going to be a great night. There are over 100, 100% vegan restaurants in Portland just to, yeah. Yeah, so it really threw That's us. Insane. and It is and one of the locals said, no, you'd think it would be progressive and people are really open but it's actually, they're a harder, they're a tougher crowd because they're all about the uh, organic and free range and we're going to do it better. So it's kind of like trying to talk to yoga teachers or yoga students who are already vegetarian and think they're doing enough because they're all spiritual and what have you, they're almost harder to break through Mm. than the hardcore carnist. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're not talking about a hardcore carnist environment, but they were just super tough and not interested. And so halfway, yeah, halfway through the tour and then halfway through this night of outreach in Portland 
And I was just like, this is insane. This is, I've never had so many rejections. I can't even get a full sentence out before people are walking away. No one would take the card. One lady nearly had a breakdown, nervous breakdown. I'm like, oh, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. Oh, she's freaking out. I'm like, whoa, chill. And, uh, and then this guy comes along and I'm like, oh, thank God, someone's going to listen. So it was just like a, a, the cumulative total of everything I've just described. It's kind of like the perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was open. I mean, he still asked questions, you know, he was, he was resistant, but he was, he was there. Like he had 99 points in his little hundred point system. Yeah. And he just needed that little bit extra to tip him over. He was there. He was open. And to see his mind make the connection when he made that connection that what we do to animals, we've also done to humans, his words, not mine. I'm like, Oh, this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was like just a history being made right there for this man's life, just right there in front of us. And the, the, what was perfect was um, the song that was going, that was being played in the cube was the song that's used in the Dominion film trailer, mm -hmm. uh, which I can't remember the name or who it's by, but it's, it's a great song. It's incredible. Mm. And so that was playing at the same time, which is so stirring. And there's this, the part in the song where there's, it's just like a little climax before it explodes into a, ah, I won't sing. Mm. And that was the exact perfect timing when this guy, boom, made the connection. Mm. And it was like, wow, the universe is working in our favor tonight for the ultimate outreach scenario. It was so. like watching Keanu Reeves's character Neo in The Matrix uh, learn about the reality that he'd been living in in that moment. Yeah. You know, nope. it, it was all. Why do my eyes hurt? Because you've never used them before. Yeah, it mm -hmm. was that kind of thing. He yeah. he he was waking up in front of me. It was yes. like I was watching him be you know birthed. He was it was a birthing, a rebirthing. It was special. Well, what I found amazing about that conversation was how much, like you said, he was saying things that outreachers, vegans will often say. Yeah, I remember he said, "This is the kind of thing we're going to look back on, yeah. however many years in the future, and we're going to think like." What did we do? What, what were we doing? Why yeah. are we doing this to these animals? Mm. And that's him making that connection. That's not you saying, you not, know, don't you think? And, like, and but, you know, so many comments I received on that video, uh, both on YouTube and I've seen on, on Facebook, because one of the large vegan pages shared it and it's had, I think, over 600,000 views. Mm. Again, the power of social media. One conversation with one person, it's reaching a lot of people. And so many of the comments were, this is staged. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a paid actor. You know, mm. be honest with your outreach. And you, I'm like, you would almost you, think that like yeah. it just went, it went so well. It went well. so well, but yeah. you know, like, as in you can't, you couldn't pay for this, you know, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't make this up. It's, it was just incredible. So, but yeah. obviously we didn't pay him. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. a real person. Mm -hmm. And we tried to find him actually. We were trying to we Google him. We stalker booked him. <laughs> he, couldn't find him. He hasn't reached out to you or anything? He hasn't. No. no, no. We didn't exchange details. So, I but was mind hoping you, someone would just It'd be see easier it. for him to find us, obviously. Yeah. But uh, you'd think someone in Portland would have seen it and said, hey, have you seen this video about I bet you? he'll find it eventually. I hope so. Yeah. Because I'd love to do a follow-up, you know, uh, video with him. Yeah. See where he's at. How'd he go? Because he touched so many people, not just you, but, you know, the hundreds of thousands that have seen it. All the messages that we've been getting since that happened are just, you know, there's almost something every day or every second day in our inbox saying, you know, that conversation with that guy. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's it's fantastic! Like yeah. you could, like you say, it's like you would think that it was staged because it's just so perfect, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so those those conversations are really powerful when you get, especially because you know you. I'm sure you guys film so many conversations. They're not all gold like that. They don't all get published, but the ones that do, you know, 
there it's worth it it's worth it to have that camera on um just on that jason we figured roundabout it might have been a one in 160 is that what it type would be conversation yeah that, correct. Wow. actually try to work it out <laughs> yeah. so you so you're so you're filming about 160 times you'll get one that you'll post no 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 that quality of oh, that conversation quality. Okay, that quality okay. how many do you think you post out of you know the ones that you film uh percentage well, one per well not even one per cube it depends. It does Somet- depend. Sometimes you can get one per cube, like as in mm-hmm. one really quali- quality conversation. But yeah. if you don't get one quality one, what we might do is piece together a montage of several conversations from that cube because there may be good bits out of, you know, four, five, six conversations mm-hmm. that you can piece together and tell a little story that you see the progression of several people. Mm-hmm. So you can always get something out of the cube, yeah. but, you know, something that's um, video worthy, as we say, in and of itself doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess one thing I want to ask you guys about, because when you're at the Cuba Truth, you're talking to people you don't, you've never met them before. They're coming up. It's a very specific scenario. They're there because they've seen what's going on. They're interested. They're showing interest. I mean, at these cubes, we're, we're targeting or we're pre-screening who we talk to because we want to talk to people who are interested in the footage, right? Yeah. Um, what about talking to family, people you live with, talking with people who are not vegan, but you're really close with, how do you change your approach or do you change your approach when you're talking to someone like that? Absolutely. When it comes to family, there are complicated interpersonal dynamics. And what I mean by that is you each know how to press each other's buttons because you've been doing it since day dot. You know know that scene in uh, The Simpsons? Oh, yes. Remember that Simpsons episode where they're they're doing an experiment on the family and they're all sitting in the room and everybody's got a buzzer to electrocute the other? Give give each other electric shocks. Right? That's exactly what we do as families. So just picture that in in your mind Uh and then you throw veganism into the mix. Mm. And what happens quite often is that because of those pre-existing interpersonal relationship dynamics in the family – Family members can automatically block the message because of the messenger. And yet if they were to hear that exact same message from a complete stranger, they might be open to it. So that's where the difficulty lies. It's a very difficult territory to navigate. We've got some tools uh, that we can help recommend people watch to help them with that. Uh, We've got some podcast episodes with uh, vegan psychologist Dr. Melanie Joy and uh, Dr. Claire Mann. So if people check those out, uh, they go into a lot of tips and tools uh, on things that vegans can use to help them navigate those tricky family I guess, situations. I guess you can't just say this is what you should do because of the, the like the dynamics are so different, right? Every, yeah. every single person is different. The relationship, you know, the relationship I have with with my mom or dad is going to be totally different than someone else, right? Mm. Um, and think, more, go on. No, no, go on. I was going to say more often than not with the parents. Typically, it's difficult to receive the information from their kids because mm. they've been the guardian, the mentor, the one with the uh, greater knowledge base and what have you. And it's almost like they would be somehow admitting to themselves that they did something wrong in raising their children. And that mm. would be a very difficult thing, I would imagine, as a parent to accept, mm-hmm. even though the vegan child, and, and sometimes it's the other way around, but most often it's the vegan child, even though they would probably in no way, shape or form be blaming their parent because yeah. they understand that, you know, we've all been duped. 
For sure, yeah. And their parents were doing the best that they thought Absolutely. to do. So, Yeah, I was going to say uh, we had a, just as an example, um, we had a mother and daughter come to our activism workshop in... Which one are you thinking? Remember which one on the sta- in the states? Um, There's a couple. It doesn't matter actually. Okay. Whatever, one city along the way. Yeah. Um, and the daughter said she's a fan and been oh, following yeah. for ages, and she said, you know, I've been talking to my mum for a long time, and she's kind of close, but I just can't break through to her. There was one in Michigan and one in Chicago. I'm not sure right. which one it, it was. It wasn't Michigan. Anyway, that was Chicago. It must have been then. Chicago. Yeah. And uh, but mum stayed. She came to the meetup and met mum. That was all lovely, and she stayed for the whole activism workshop. And the next day, the daughter messaged and said, you did it. After all the years that I've been talking to my mum, you broke through. She said she's going vegan as a result. So it's the same message. It's just delivered from a total stranger without any emotional attachment, no strings attached, no no filter of, oh, you said this to me back in whenever and you did this and whatever. Mm. It's just the pure message from a total stranger. Mm-hmm. Boom, we got it. Hole in one. Same message delivered by someone that you know that you're attached to and it comes with all this baggage, forget it. That's been our experience. Yeah. That's most people's experience. Um, I feel like they that family members don't even hear the message, mm-hmm. the vegan message, because of all of this other stuff. So vegans you know? could actually take heed of what we're talking about here because a lot of vegans get frustrated with being unable to break through to their family and their loved ones. They can look at this as a half glass full and the opportunity exists for them to get out there knowing that this is how it tends to work with human psychology and have outreach conversations with complete strangers Mm. at a cube of truth and the success that you'll have there in those conversations will likely be a lot greater than you're probably having with your family and they will help offset the frustration that you feel about your inability to break through to your family members. And I wish we could start again because when we went vegan, um, as we said, we didn't, uh, Cube of Truths weren't around back then and, and we didn't have experience with outreaching and how to speak to someone. And we just, we were influenced by Gary. Gary's, you know, boom, he just he just says it as it Demon is. He's face, straight yeah. in, exactly. You know, he punches you between the eyes and we're like, yeah, Gary, punch us again. That was awesome. <laughs> right? So we needed that. But it's not everybody's cup of tea. No. And so we went about, activism or, or communication, I should say, uh, very much Gary style. And that's super cool. That's fine. But sometimes you need to be a bit more strategic. With with people close to you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for example, this was so bad. I wish uh. I wish we could just turn back the clock. I wish we could start again and know what we know now and be the way we are now. You know, hindsight, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. We were with my parents one time. And we were in Spain. <laughs> it was a month before we watched Gary's speech. So we were almost vegan in our diet and and almost there in the mentality but we just needed gary to smack Smack us between the eyes (laughs) a month later anyway so we're on this uh, holiday with your parents and your dad says uh what's wrong with eggs and i just i snapped and i just said well what do you think um (laughs) and yeah you know, yeah. that was, uh, and the conversation, obviously, like no one said anything, and it, it was, was just, just awkward silence, uncomfortable. Oh, really? It was terrible. Yeah. This was so again, you really sort of snap back at him, or yeah, I did, wow. I did. I was, you know, again, it was one month before actually going vegan myself, uh-huh. uh, and I was probably coming from a place of, oh, I don't know how to articulate that properly yet, and so I'm just going to snap at you, or maybe I did know, and I just 
had this, you know, angry vegan stage, even though I wasn't yet vegan. <laughs> vegan. It, was, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. But that was the beginning of, the end of s- the several, several types of those t- kinds of interactions early on in our vegan journey. It was journey, just yeah? silly. It was our fault. It was, we, we, you know, but yeah, we just, like I said, hindsight's wonderful. So any advice that we could give people now is don't do that. Don't snap. Don't, don't go to your family straight away with, you know, you should be doing this. Just chill about it. Take a few breaths. Think about it. Definitely go to Cubes and do some practice on Total Strangers. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to, you know, upskill yourself. I had a talk with, uh, we, we did a video, Paul, Paul Bashir and I, and we were talking about how therapeutic it is to go to these Cubes. Oh, yeah. Because people who, especially people who are newly vegan, you just find out about this stuff and you just want to talk about it. And if the people you're talking to, like you've been saying, are your close family, your close friends, people you already have these relationships with, there's already baggage. There's, yeah, there's baggage and, and, and there's, there's going to be, yeah, you're going to have such a hard, you're, 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 you're not going to be as successful, like to put it, to put it, uh, to put it, to put, to put it bluntly. And, but you still want to talk about it. So go to a cube, talk about it with complete strangers, vent, and then maybe you when you get back with your family or your friends or whoever, you've got it out of, out of your system. Great strategy. I, I always think that, you know, the people you're close, the closer you are to somebody, the less you should be talking about veganism. And the other thing is too, they see, they see how you're living. It's like, you're the example. Like if you're the only vegan in your family, you don't have to say anything. You just have to be vegan. And that's like, they'll they'll see that, you know, whereas somebody on the street, you walk by somebody on the street, unless you've got a vegan shirt on or whatever, Mm. you're not getting anything out there. So you don't really need to work as hard with your close friends and family, I would say. I would say still say something, but just change the way you say it. Yeah. I would still say something. I I don't, I don't, I guess I don't mean say nothing. I guess I just mean. But your example is still very strong because they're there, they're watching you, they're living with you. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than someone on the street that, you know, is Mm -hmm. obviously not living with you and can see your movements and your changes. Yeah. You're right. It's a bit of a combination of both. Yeah. And I just think that right now in 2018, going vegan and becoming active and a good communicator has never been easier. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to turn back time because I don't want to be 18 again, but if I was 18 right now, my gosh, life would just be so different. I just pulled that number because it's super young, right? Mm. Um, Just to start fresh, you've got all the information at your fingertips, so easy. You've got every recipe imaginable on YouTube. You have all of this activism at your fingertips, how to communicate, as you said, the cube, just everything is so much easier now even compared to just us seven years ago. It's a totally different world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I'm blown away by the changes that we've seen in our short seven years, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's a totally different experience. It is so cool to watch how it's progressing. Yeah. All the new foods coming out. Yeah. yeah. New forms of activism, new documentaries. Yeah. Actually, we just found out today that Burger King in Australia, which is called Hungry Jack's there, They've just released a vegan cheeseburger. I saw that. I mean, that's just... Yeah, vegan um, patty, vegan cheese, vegan mayo. Yeah. Boom. What, what more can you ask for, right? Like, that's yeah. it. I mean, there are four main reasons why we still eat animal products today, and that is taste, convenience, tradition, and habit. Well, it just takes care of the convenience one, knocks that straight out by having you know a, a corporation like Burger King bring out a vegan option. Mm. Super easy. Yeah, that's... I mean, when whenever I talk to people, that's... 
the four things you just mentioned. That that's totally it. I mean, if you can give people the option, like say, look, any any fast food restaurant you go to, you, there's delicious vegan options. Any supermarket you, market you go to, there's affordable, cheap, delicious vegan options. Like, is the more available those things are, the easier our job becomes. Because if we're telling people the importance of going vegan, but they don't have options to eat that are delicious, accessible, affordable, you're only going to get so far. But yeah, I think it's really great to see how it's all how it's all progressing. It's yeah. uh, definitely it's very exciting, and 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 they 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 do feed each other, right? The activism and the companies who are putting this stuff out there, they they benefit each other, guaranteed, right? because the activism is creating new vegans amongst mm-hmm. the general public, mm-hmm. and then those vegans go on to become activists themselves and create other vegans and vegan activists, and so yeah. You're 100%. And then that drives up the sales, the demand, the yeah, demand and yeah. then in comes the supply. and Exactly. It. Simple yeah. supply and demand. Exactly. We've got all the answers to change the world, don't we? Well, That's as, as uh, <laughs> vegan activist Philip Wallen from Australia says, veganism is like the Swiss army knife for a lot of the world's problems. It solves for our sure. ethical problems, our health problems, our environmental problems. Yeah. For sure, for mm. sure. I could talk to you guys forever. <laughs> And we, us, you. It, it would be uh, it would be cool. I'd like to go deeper on, on some of the uh, the different form of of activism, like DXC and the Save Movement and all mm. that. Maybe we have to save that for another another day. But um, you sure? Totally. You up got to us you. now. You got us yeah. here. Uh, how much? What are we at now? You know what? Let's let's talk about it a bit at let's least. Go. So, DXC. Mm. You start with the uh, you bring out the big guns. DXC. Let's talk about DXC. <laughs> Direct action everywhere. Some people will be familiar with it. Maybe some people aren't. You guys talked about it a little bit. Well, in your when you gave your your vegan activism workshop here, you talked about basically anonymous for the voiceless, DXE, and uh, the Save Movement. And DXE being the most controversial, I I'm becoming more persuaded about the of the sort of effectiveness of these things, these demonstrations. Um, I definitely. I mean, if you had asked me a couple months ago, I probably would have said, oh, I don't know about, I don't really think that that's effective. I don't think that, you know, I think you're being too confrontational. It's too aggressive. It's too militant. Like these are the words that people would use to describe this kind of activism. Um, I believe that you guys sort of shared that thinking at one point. We did. But you've now sort of changed your view on that a little bit. So could you talk about what's why, why is this um, an effective form of activism or why can, can it potentially be effective? Mm. Um, and w- are, you, are you still comfortable? Are you comfortable doing that? Or what do you, how do you feel about DXE? Can we me, upped our militant game. You upped your militant game. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't you just do yoga videos and smoothie videos? Like, why are you doing this other stuff? Wow. Because it's effective and it works. It's needed. It's needed. So we, you're right. We shared the same thinking around direct action everywhere that you have spoken about, where we were very hesitant. We were thinking, in actual fact, is this actually counterproductive to veganism and the vegan movement? But it was simply because we were coming from a place of not understanding the purpose and intention of direct action, and we needed to educate ourselves just as a not-yet-vegan needs to educate themselves about why they need to go vegan, and education is the only thing keeping them between their current not-yet-vegan selves and going vegan same thing with our understanding of direct action so we watched a incredible youtube video by one of the co-founders of direct action area wayne shung it's called the science of social change 
highly recommend that all your listeners check it out. It's, it, this is the video that did it for us. And basically, the mechanisms for creating individual change are different to those required to create social change. So at an Anonymous for the Voices Cube of Truth, we're focused on creating individual change. Direct Action Everywhere is not focused on creating individual change. It's focused on creating social change. And at the moment, we have this social norm of eating animals, that it's totally normal in society to eat animals. So Direct Action seeks to disrupt the social norm of eating animals. That is to bring attention to the fact that, hey, guys, this is what we have collectively decided is normal as a society, but it's actually really, really wrong. And we're going to force you to think about it for perhaps the first time ever. Because why would you think about something that's been socially normalized? You probably wouldn't. That's why when we just we sit down to meat, dairy, and eggs and eat them robotically because we've been conditioned since birth to believe that they're normal, natural, and necessary. So the best example of the use of nonviolent direct action actually came out of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And in the activism workshop, Jason, you'd recall, we talk about the Greensboro Four. Right. And... Do we got time to go into it or not really? Just summarise. Basically, so it wasn't enough during the civil rights movement for people just to be not participating in racism in order for civil rights to be won, mm. okay? It actually took people taking action to bring mass media attention to civil rights as an issue at all because – Everyone just thought, oh, this is the way it's always been and always will be because it was considered socially normal to segregate black people from white people. But it took black people taking action in order to bring about this social change and to bring about civil rights. And that's why veganism in and of itself is not enough. Yeah, and the action that they took was civil disobedience. What they did was illegal. They they did a sit-in. So uh, it was for black guys sat at a white lunch counter Mm. so they broke the law but they were peaceful about it they just sat there they just sat where they weren't supposed to and there was uproar and the the black waitress serving them she actually said and i'm probably going to get this wrong in terms of a quote but something like um fellas like you make the rest of us look bad Mm. right so even it caused controversy within their own community Mm -hmm. and and we see that today where we have vegans saying you know, you vegans doing direct action, it's too controversial, you're making us all look bad, it's too militant, you're too angry, you're too this, it's reflecting poorly on all of us, it's sending the movement back. And mm-hmm. that's the way we used to think as well. Well, there's tons of people who, who feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Except that uh, act of civil debi- disobedience inspired a trickle of copycat actions. And so one act that those four men did, 100,000 people across America ended up doing sit-ins. And it went across all major newspapers on the front page. You know, civil rights was on the front page. And so that meant that everyone was talking about it when previously it was just accepted as the social norm and the way Mm. things are and always will be. And so it took those acts of civil disobedience uh, being repeated by enough people to break down that social norm and get people talking about civil rights Mm. and then ultimately achieve civil rights. I think basically the whole intention is to do something that's so shocking, that's so out of the norm that it gets people's attention, it gets media attention, it forces people to have a conversation, to take a side. It doesn't matter which side they take. It doesn't matter if they say those extreme, angry, freak vegans ruin my day. That's fine. 
they have thought about the issue of animal rights and they've taken a side. And that's the first seed planted. We are forcing people to, to reconsider what has been normalised. It's not normal, it's just been normalised. Mm -hmm. So that's all we're trying to do. Put the issue on the table and force people to, to confront it. There are, there are people who use militant vegans or extreme vegans as mm -hmm. almost a reason for them to not go vegan. Yep. They'll say, oh, I don't have any problem with vegans or promoting veganism, but it's those militant vegans who just really upset me. It's the ones that do more than post about smoothie bowls. Yeah. How dare they talk about injustice? <laughs> yeah. How dare they talk about the, the, the mass murder of innocent beings? That's going to ruin my day. Yeah. Just show me the smoothie bowls and tell me I've got a choice and it's, it's really up to me and I can just be a chigan or, you know, I can just kind of well, you got me started now, Jason. <laughs> but do you do you think though that that it that it is holding certain people back, or is that just an excuse they're using? Those people are going to be held back no matter what. Mm. They don't want to do it, and they will just clutch at any darn excuse they can. And we've if, seen that on YouTube, haven't oh, we? Where we make a response video for a non-vegan YouTuber, say someone who says that they can love animals and still eat them, and we'll point out the flaws in their thinking. And they will say, oh, you were too aggressive in your response. You know, I couldn't accept the message. Uh, it would be better if you had approached it this way. Then another vegan will come along and approach it exactly the way that they asked for it to be <laughs> put to them and they still won't go vegan. No, 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 it's my choice. You know, that's, that's your opinion. You, I'm happy that you're vegan, but you can't make me be vegan. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. And it's like nothing you're ever going to say is going to convince those people. They don't want to do it, full stop. And so don't worry about the outcome. This is the other thing with direct action. We're not concerned about how it's received. We just want attention. We want the truth out there, right? So whether someone's going to agree with you or disagree with you doesn't matter. It's that they've heard it and they've, they've been forced to confront the issue. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because previously they weren't even aware it was an issue because mm. it's what we've always mm. done. So just speak the truth. Just say what needs to be said. Speak from the heart, speak for animals the way you would want someone to be speaking up and defending your life. And don't worry, the chips are going to fall wherever the chips are going to fall, as we say in Australia. Plant the seeds, whether they sprout, how they sprout, that's not your, your business. They'll sprout later on. And we can give a great example here, just to get some you know, real-life perspective here. 10,000 people or thereabouts yeah. marched at the official Animal Rights March in London in August this year, which we attended on August 26. We... Google searched media articles in the mainstream media uh, in the days after the march for their reports on the march. Didn't register a blip nothing. on the radar. Nothing, nothing. absolutely nothing. So 10,000 vegans take to the streets, nothing. Then in Melbourne, was it, there was a direct action everywhere disruption involving yes. how many activists? Are you talking about the ones in Adelaide on the rooftop? Well, Let's it, use that it, one. We'll use the one in Adelaide. Yeah. Okay. So in Adelaide recently, a couple of weeks ago, there was a disruption at a slaughterhouse Adelaide, Australia. Strathalban Abattoir. 23 people. 23. Two, three. No zeros. On a rooftop of a slaughterhouse for 17 hours. Yes, that's right. With three giant banners printed out uh, from the Dominion movement. Media retention. Live media reports from the scene. Police. Police. Uh, just the coverage was extraordinary. They negotiated the rescue, uh, the release of one of the uh, individuals, a, a sheep, from the slaughterhouse. The, the slaughterhouse was shut down for the day and it was on all media. Do you know how the media found out about that? Because usually slaughterhouses are not just like in the middle of 
cities i mean how the activists have contacts with media we okay. are, australia is a wonderful wonderful example that is really leading the way in how to do successful direct action how to really get on the news and so they have now uh you know activists have contacts with journalists that who have given them their card and say well when you guys are doing something like that again call us now what's the cool. difference here's here's what happened jason Ten thousand happy peaceful protesters going through the streets Where's the story? Mm-hmm. No you're, laws are being broken. To do that. You're allowed to do it. It's legal. Yeah. You're being escorted by the police. The streets have been closed off and opened up. Your path's all clear. And it doesn't fit the mainstream media's narrative as depicting vegans as violent, militant, aggressive extremists, does it? If, if, there's, mm-hmm. if they haven't done anything wrong, if they haven't broken any laws, if they aren't doing any civil disobedience. Right. Now, mm-hmm. if one of those vegans out of the 10,000 threw a brick through McDonald's, hey, that would have made the news. But then that's, non, that's not non-violent. That's violent action and that's not what we're advocating um but then in australia you have the example of only 23 people mm-hmm. that were still engaged in non-violent direct action there was nothing violent about their actions but, but it was the fact that it was illegal and it's a, it's a story right it's, it's a story it's, it's civil disobedience yeah. and so this is what we're saying you don't need i mean hey don't get me wrong i'd love ten thousand people at each action mm-hmm. but you don't even need those numbers you just need a small group doing you know the Some, right thing slash the wrong thing. Yeah, right? and something that's going to create a story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like the Margaret Mead quote, never forget that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. I feel like that's almost like the non-violent direct action mantra. Yeah, mm. and this is just one example. We have several examples of where this has happened in Australia. Uh, they're all direct action. We have people going into steakhouses, and taking direct action and, and chanting, you know, it's not food, it's violence, holding up signs, totally disrupting this place of murdered animals being eaten. And making the 6 p.m. evening news on all three mainstream uh, media channels. In fact, uh, one of the leaders um, was of that movement, of that disruption, was interviewed on a, a very popular um, show. It, it's it's not a news show. It's, a, it's where they talk about news stories yeah, after the news. Yeah. One of those type of shows. It, it was a popular show, right? Mainstream coverage and so we're getting on the news all the time we've had a a disruption called meet the victims we've had number one and number two one in uh brisbane the other one in uh, melbourne or queensland and victoria um and they will be continued uh, in the future again they're all over the news and you're talking about you know 100 people gathering so ten thousand versus 23 or 100 yeah and the outcome is chalk and vegan cheese well it's it's like uh when you when you talk about outreach conversations, you can have the outreach conversations. You could you could go you could go just have that yeah. one conversation or make a video, get it spread online. Yeah. When you're talking about direct action, you want to do things that are going to make the news because That's you can it. go to a restaurant and you can do whatever and get you know affect those people at the restaurant. But if you can make the news. And you get everybody talking about it at their dinner table. Yeah. That's the whole point, yeah. right? Is to get people talking. Exactly. So doing and- things that are you know, uh, exactly. ex- extraordinary. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, one of the disruptions that I just mentioned where they, the activists went to a street, uh, street house, a, a steakhouse, steakhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it made the mainstream and made this talk show that we were talking about. Not too long after that, we were in Brisbane, Australia, and we did a disruption and just was in a food court. Yes, it was in a food court, not in a closed restaurant. It was in an open area. We were coming up the escalator. Luca and I were filming for a video. It actually is up on the channel and we had just started so we were it was a silent disruption where people had black tape over their mouth holding up uh graphic signs and just as we were coming up the escalator i switched on the camera we were ready to go and there was an elderly couple 
standing close by and I heard them say within the first like 10 seconds of this action, I heard them say, oh, they're those horrible people. Mm. And my stomach- That, my, that we've seen on the news. Exactly. Mm. My first reaction, my stomach dropped like, oh, I don't want to be one of those horrible people. I don't want them to see us like that. Vegans mm. are awesome. We want to be lovely. Come on, you know. And then my second reaction was, Holy macaroni, they know us. Mm -hmm. They know what this is about. They've seen it and that's all that matters. They saw it. They know what we're here for. Wow. And they were forced to talk about it, think about it, and decide on which side of the issue they stood. And at some point there will be a reckoning. People will either be standing on the right side or the wrong side of history. So it's forcing people to make them aware that there is a side to choose. Are we the horrible people who are holding up posters of torture, dismembered, slaughtered animals? Or? The ones paying for it. Exactly. It's still very early days, I think. I mean, people have been doing activism for animal rights for a long time, but it's really starting to gain some momentum. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this all evolves because it's, it's very early days still. And people are, maybe they're not even, well, they're probably taking a side, but you know, I think as the years go on and as people have more time to think about this and as this issue is made more in the in the you know the forefront of, of what's being covered on the news and what people are talking about, there's gonna be more and more people who are, you know, paying attention to, well, am I really do are these people really so bad if they're just trying to help these animals? Yeah. So it's gonna be it's, I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting to see what's what's going to happen next and what, what kind of dis disruptions are going to be happening and the conversations around that. And again, it's the power of social media. As you said, this has been going on for a long time, but it's only really heating up and exploding right now because of social media, because we can spread this so quickly. We can reach people everywhere instantly. And we don't need governments. We don't need industry. We don't even need, we don't even need the mainstream media technically. We are controlling the social media. Yeah, that is I mean, at our fingertips, and we, we, you know it's the it's power to the people. As cliche as that sounds, it you, really is to reach to reach people, but also for people to get involved, yeah. like to get the people involved in doing these things and, and spreading the message. Exactly. Back, you know, a few years, ten years ago, anybody who wants to find this message and find this cause to do something about it, you really have to do some digging and some, you know, you have to be lucky basically to to find a group that's doing something like this. Yeah. Now you you want to you want to be a vegan activist, like it's it's super easy, and that's yeah. why what we're seeing is there used to be a lot longer of a time gap between someone going vegan and then becoming an active vegan than there is today and that's because of social media so so often in our uk and us activism tours we would come across vegans who have only been vegan this year but have already been involved in activism like it only took them a month or two months or three months to go from going vegan to getting uh, active yeah and and you know we've been talking about um the fact that not only do we have to make veganism normal and mainstream we also have to make the idea of being a vegan activist normal and mainstream yeah you know i think we have to normalize for vegans that this is that this is the next step as we always say going vegan is not the most we can do it's the least we can do mm -hmm. you know the next step is to become active and and as soon as we can start normalizing that for vegans that it's not this big scary terrible thing of i'm gonna be you know resting black with a mask on in a, in a factory farm, yeah. running out with a chicken under my arm. That's not necessarily what you have to do, but just starting to advocate in some way 
and taking it from there is super important. And if I could just tack on to that, something, a thought that you shared with me just very recently and we're still uh, formulating how we're going to articulate it, but essentially... Oh, are you going to say it now? Yeah, I'm going to say it now. Oh. We, we should do it. Th- this may be a bacon moment. Remember our <laughs> yeah. safety word? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> okay. It could be. So during the time of human slavery, it wasn't enough for people simply to not partake in human slavery themselves in order to achieve the abolition of human slavery. It took abolitionists taking action to Mm -hmm. bring about the end of human slavery. It was also not enough for just women to be women and want equal rights. We had to become active and create those rights, fight for those rights. So what we're saying is... It it wasn't enough for people of colour to simply just be people of colour and for white people to not participate in racism themselves in order to bring about civil rights. It took civil rights activists to bring about those civil rights. Same thing for the gay movement. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not enough for people just to be gay and just live their, their life the way they want. It took activists pushing for those rights. Same thing with veganism. It's not enough for us just to be vegan and live vegan. That's not going to create the vegan world that we want. Animal rights will only be brought about through action taken by animal rights activists. So I hope that makes sense mm-hmm. and it came out okay. I think that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes total sense. And Because that's what a lot of vegans say. Well, I, I'm vegan. I'm doing my part. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not participating in, in any of the, uh, the cruelty anymore. Yeah. So that's that's my bit. But again, every vegan could relate to this, I'm sure. If you saw somebody needlessly beating a dog, it wouldn't be enough for you just not to participate in beating the dog yourself. It You would actually take some action to try to intervene to stop whoever was beating the dog from needlessly beating the dog, yeah? For sure. As soon as we change it from a dog to a cow or a pig or a chicken or a duck or a turkey or a sheep or a fish, you know, all of a sudden, oh, we don't need to be active. It's just enough to not eat them and not participate in the violence towards them. Well, it doesn't, that's not morally consistent. And we've, we see these comments, Jason, all the time. I mean, every day we see these comments on the channel with people saying, you know, oh, I've, I've been, you know, vegan for 11 years, but I'm, I, I'm, I don't talk about it. You know, I'm not, yeah. not one of those pushy vegans. I just let people be. Right, as though, as though it's a good thing, right, uh, not to, not to oh. be that pushy vegan, right? I've never, ever seen someone protesting against the Yulin Dog Festival in China as being labelled pushy, militant or extremist. Mm-hmm, for sure. Or if you're fighting for human rights, are you pushy, militant and extremist? Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, exactly. replace the victim and all of a sudden... So we should wrap it up, but give us some words for somebody who is vegan but is hesitant to get active. I mean, you guys have you've given so much, so many reasons to get active, but somebody who's, let's say they're... You know, I think a lot of people are just maybe lacking that confidence or for whatever reason, they're just uncomfortable with the idea of, of getting active. So how can somebody maybe overcome some, some of those feelings? Like what's a good way for them to sort of, you know, start dipping their toes in, in, in activism? You're going to quote Winnie the Pooh. I'm going to quote you? Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> as we I, lo- I love you guys are so connected. <laughs> Anybody who watches your videos, if you guys haven't seen their videos, you just got it. It's like they're on the same, same wavelength That's for sure. 20 years. <laughs> it's going to do it to you. <laughs> you're, you're braver than you believe stronger than you seem and smarter than you think so back yourself and also you know how every vegan ever says going vegan was the best thing i ever did i only wish i'd done it sooner well every active vegan will tell you becoming a vegan activist was the best thing they ever did and they only wish they'd done it sooner 
for sure. It is incredibly empowering. And this is, I think, what um, what a lot of people miss. They think that when they will become active, that it's this big, scary thing that they're not going to be able to handle. I'm going to be too emotional. I'll be too sad. I'll be depressed. I can't go to a vigil. I can't see trucks coming in carrying animals to their murder. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not strong enough for that. What they don't realize is that it's empowering. It helps you deal with things. And I know it sounds like, how is that even possible? But the thing is, when you start to intervene, when you start to take action, when you start to document this injustice and you start sharing it and you start talking to people and you start being active in how you, um, how you communicate this message to others and, 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 and you're doing something more than just not participating you're in it yourself. You're really being part of the solution. Exactly. There's a massive difference and it's sort of like short-term pain, long-term gain. So yeah, you might feel really down initially like, oh wow, what have I just witnessed? But then there's this fire that's lit within you and there's this empowering feeling of, wow, I did something today. Not only didn't I put these animals on my plate or on my body or in with these products, but I went out and I helped them next level and I helped others. I helped to educate others. That means I'm doing something about it. I'm, I'm part of that solution. And that is a massive help. It helps to balance out all of the negativity and the feeling of dread and despair that we often burden as, as vegans. So you're going to grow a lot. You're going to feel better long-term. And we've got to remember it ain't about us. We're not doing this because we like it, because we want to, because we've got nothing better to do with our time. We're doing it because it's needed. It's the right thing to do. And it's the only thing to do if we're going to end this Holocaust. And if we were in the victim's position, that's all we ever have to think about. What if we were in the victim's position? Going vegan is not the most we can do. It's the least we can do. It's awesome talking to you guys. You guys are legends. You guys work so hard. I can really, you know, see your passion and your fire and all your work. And you guys are just nonstop putting out great content, getting out there, supporting local activism. I, uh, yeah, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much for all the work you guys do. Thank and, you, Jason. Uh, thank you, Jason. And thank you for being the organizer of the Anonymous for the Voiceless Cube of Truth here in Chiang Mai and yeah. getting that off the ground and keeping it running every uh, every fortnight. It's very important presence here in Chiang Mai and thank you for taking the initiative. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, my pleasure. And for having us on the show today. Yeah, thank you, this was fun. And for uh, co-organising our activism workshop here in Chiang Mai and the uh, screening of Dominion here this weekend. So My pleasure, yeah. We'll try to get this podcast going off the ground. It's uh, going to be early early days right now, but um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for it and it gives me a, a real, like it's, it's like we were talking at, at dinner the other day and you know, we got talking, we knew we were going to do a podcast and then we said, well, we should stop talking because we should be talking <laughs> about this on the podcast. So that's the idea here too is, right, you know, talk, talking with like, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people who are, you know, doing great things in the vegan movement and I just feel like, you know, these conversations that I have with them, they need they need to be shared, you know, yeah. get 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 it out there. It's all Absolutely. a recurring theme today, right, of reaching as many people as possible when whenever we're doing something that's of value, right? We all have a role to play yeah. and I think you found a very important role for yourself, so. Good. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I love doing it. I love talking to people like yourselves. So. <laughs> and us you. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thanks for coming on today, you guys. We'll uh, see you guys soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Those two make quite the team, don't they? I really think we're lucky to have them working so hard to spread the vegan message. I'm definitely feeling inspired to do more after that conversation. And I hope you feel the same. You can find out more about Natasha and Luca by visiting their website, 
thatvegancouple.com where you'll find links to their various social media platforms as well as their podcast, ebooks, and all kinds of other cool stuff. If you enjoyed this episode of the Vegan Champion Podcast, it would be awesome if you could support the show by doing one, some, or all of the following things. The first thing is to tell people about it. Share your favorite episode with a friend, family member, or colleague. The second thing is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and subscribe on YouTube as you can watch video versions of the conversations there. And the fourth thing is if you feel inclined to support financially, you can support me through Patreon at patreon.com slash Jason Fonger. If you have a vegan-friendly business and would like to sponsor an episode of the show, please reach out to me at theveganchampionpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about me and keep up to date with what I'm doing, check out my website at jasonfonger.com. You'll find all of my social media links there too. And if you would like to contact me, you can do so by sending an email to jasonfongerinfo at gmail.com. That's all for this episode. Hope you have enjoyed, everybody. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. vegan champion podcast once again brought to you by matthew chalmers check him out on instagram at matt chal music further video and audio production by tarmo vanis check him out at tarmovanis.com